researchers previously funded by Australian Rotary Health about their research findings. I'm Jessica Cooper and today we'll be talking to Dr. Tegan Cruis from the Australian National University. Dr. Cruis was awarded an Australian Rotary Health Mental Health Research Grant from 2018 to 2019 for her project called Connecting Adolescents to Reduce Relapse, the CAR Trial, an RCT to assess whether a social identity intervention reduces social isolation more effectively than cognitive behaviour therapy. Dr. Cruis is a National Health and Medical Research Council Emerging Leadership Fellow and Clinical Psychologist at ANU, with an honorary Senior Research Fellowship at the University of Queensland. Her research investigates how social relationships shape mental and physical health, work that is at the intersection of social, clinical and health psychology. So thank you very much, Tegan, for joining us on today's podcast episode. How's everything been going for you lately? Great. Thanks for having me, Jessica. It's uh, it's a real honour to be able to share the research findings. They're just coming out now. So yeah, looking forward to chatting with you. Yeah, yeah, it should be great. Um, So yeah, it was only just recently that you submitted your final report to Australian Rotary Health for this mental health research project on social identity, on a social identity intervention. Um, So it must be very fresh in your mind. Um, To start off, could you tell us a little bit about this intervention that you were trialing in this research? Yeah, so it's called Groups for Health. um, And it's an intervention uh, that some colleagues and I developed about six years ago now. Um, And basically what we were trying to do is to provide a manualized way in which uh, health professionals, both psychologists and other kinds of mental health professionals, could provide support to people who are experiencing loneliness and social isolation uh, that is often associated with a variety of different mental health problems. So there's an increasing body of evidence that's been coming out over the last 20, 30, 40 years, showing that there's this extremely strong relationship between loneliness and mental health. And even more so that it seems to go in one direction primarily, that people who become socially isolated are at elevated risk of poor mental health down the track. Um, And also that it's a really significant risk factor for relapse as well. So we were interested to provide a way in which we could address loneliness, um, especially for young people, uh, so that we could benefit their mental health down the track. Um, And so that intervention was developed about six years ago. um, And this trial was to try and find out just how effective it is in in delivering those outcomes. Mm. And so I guess, yeah, part of that trial was comparing that intervention to cognitive behaviour therapy, CBT. Um, I guess what were some of the main findings when comparing the two? Yeah, so one of the reasons we chose uh, cognitive behavioural therapy, CBT, as a comparator in this trial is because we'd already done a couple of trials with this program, Groups for Health, and found that it was effective um, just pre-post so that people tended to see benefits um, over time. And then we compared it to just a treatment-as-usual control, which was a sort of quite a diverse um, bunch of things that people might already be receiving, but was, was sometimes CBT. But CBT is probably the most effective intervention that we have as a psychological treatment for depression 
impression at the moment. And so you want to set the bar high if you're coming up with something new. You don't want to, to uh, give yourself too easy a time to show that something's working. You want to show that it's at least as effective as what we're already doing. Um, and so that's what this trial set out to do, was to see whether this new intervention, Groups for Health, could benefit young people who are currently experiencing depression at least as effectively as what we currently have as gold standard practice. Um, but we wanted to go than that as well because our intervention is not just targeting depression it's also targeting one of those key risk factors for relapse so that is loneliness so we wanted to see whether our intervention could be more effective than cbt in benefiting people's social belonging and their and their degree to which they feel connected more broadly hmm. and so i guess you know like was it effective like what were yeah those main findings yeah, so we're just in the process of uh, starting the analyses of the data at the moment, so to put together an academic publication on them. Um, and I'm excited to say that, indeed, we're finding very positive effects of both interventions. Um, so we're, we this trial involved a 12-month follow-up period. So we had 174 young people aged between 15 and 25 who were experiencing depression and loneliness come through our trial. Um, and we're seeing in both of those groups, regardless of whether they were randomly assigned to receive CBT or groups for health, that they experienced significant and substantial reductions in their depression and their loneliness, um, and that those benefits are maintained at 12-month follow-up. Um, so that's the most exciting finding, is that people tend to be getting great benefit out of both of these interventions. Um, and even more exciting for, for those of us who are, you know, keen to develop an intervention that's effective for loneliness, we are seeing uh, particular benefits for groups for health, and that's emerging over time as well. So we're really only starting to see that at that 12-month follow-up mark. So uh, interesting, I think, that CBT is effective for loneliness as well as groups for health, um, but it seems like groups for health has a bit of an edge when it comes to that 12-month mark. Hmm. And so because CBT is such an effective intervention, I guess, um, you know, why, why would researchers look for other types of interventions when, when that's so successful? Why, why would you say, yeah? Yeah, good question. And, you know, as a psychologist, I'm, I'm a big fan of CBT. So this is by no means, uh, a, the goal is not to prove that CBT is bad in any way. It's actually part of the problem we have, though, is that CBT isn't right for everyone. Um, and in fact, it, it seems to be that young people in particular don't always find that it's a great fit for them in terms of their needs. In fact, we, we received feedback and one of the partners we had in, in running this intervention was Headspace. And I thought what they said was, was a really good example of why we need an intervention like this. They said that some young people, when they come to Headspace, they're really coming because they want to make friends. They see it as a social environment where they might be able to meet other young people and connect with them. And so then when they find that actually the treatments on offer are mostly one-on-one -on -one therapy uh, with someone who is a long way from their age, that can be a bit of a turnoff. That's not actually what they're looking for. Um, and so an intervention like this that's run in small groups of young people together and really focuses on how they can connect with one another and build skills to develop their group-based connectedness more generally, that's actually a better fit with what a, long, a lot of young people are looking for. Um, and since we know that loneliness is a major risk factor for relapse as well, it may be the case that over the long term, by, by addressing that risk factor, we might be able to keep people well for longer as well and actually reduce their risk of relapse. Yeah, well, that sounds um, so important. And, you know, it seems to offer something else that CBT, um, CBT doesn't offer. So, you know, that's really great. I guess in terms of um, implications for the wider public, um, where do you think this intervention might go? 
yeah, um, well, we're obviously we're shooting for the moon. Uh, we're very excited to try and make the intervention more widely available. Um, and so offering training for health professionals so that they can run CBT in their setting, uh, sorry, groups for health in their setting is a, is a next priority for us. Um, we're also in the process of bringing together a large number of community partners uh, for, a, for a large grant, which would allow us to test the implementation of groups for health across lots of different sectors. So we're looking both at young people and working with um, organisations like Headspace, as well as older populations. And we're working there with um, organisations like Relationships Australia um, to try and see if we can actually implement this in real world settings uh, right across the different kinds of organisations that are already running mental health support in our community. Yeah, well, that's definitely what we would like to see from these research projects, you know, seeing it get out there and, and be used and help real people. So, yeah, that's really great to hear. <laughs> Was there anything else? I guess you've got some publications in the works. Um, you know, are there any other, I guess, research avenues that can lead on from this as well? Yeah, no, there were, so that's definitely our priority at the moment is making sure that these uh, findings are, you know, rigorously evaluated in the peer review process and made available to the scientific and the and the wider community more generally. So that's a priority. Um, one other kind of uh, tidbit of finding that I thought was really interesting that I'll share with you is that just by coincidence, we had a sort of a, a quasi-experimental design around COVID. So um, the COVID lockdowns uh, came into place when about 50% of our sample had already done their 12-month follow-up point and in the other 50% of our sample hadn't yet done their 12-month follow-up point um, and half and half were in each of the two conditions because they were randomised um, and so what we were able to assess is whether there was any differences um, between the way people were dealing with their COVID lockdown depending on which kind of intervention they'd had. And what we found is that the people who had done the Groups for Health program were protected in terms of seeing a spike in their loneliness scores at that 12-month follow-up point. So it seemed to be the case that this intervention was setting people up well to cope with future threats to their social connectedness, um, which is, of course, again, exactly what we would hope is that we're, we're giving people the skills that future and unanticipated threats and stresses that we might not know about yet, that they're actually better able to cope with those down the track. Yeah, that's so important and, and so good to see, you know, at a time like this, you know, that those findings. Yeah, that's that's great. And, you know, it sounds like um, this um, project was quite successful, um, particularly in finding that the intervention can help with the, reducer, um, the, the reducing relapse in um, depression in young people. And I know it's always so important for our Rotarians, who are the primary donors um, to Australian Rotary Health, um, to know where their money is going. Um, I guess, would you be able to explain to our audience why continuing to fund research like yours or, or you know, something similar is so important? Yeah, no, thanks, Jessica. I, I really can't emphasise enough how crucial this grant was uh, at the stage of our research project. Uh, it's the, the different kinds of research funding that are available for research like this is, you know, it's a landscape that's very complicated to navigate and it can be very hard to secure funding. So for health research, for instance, another major government funder is the National Health and Medical Research Council, but the success rates for those grants uh, are so low, you know, often on the order of 8%, 11%, and that's when all of the funders, all the people who are applying for funding are, are doing great research and are competitive. And often the research that falls by the wayside is the stuff that is the most, uh, the most kind of on the, on the edge of science. So not, not the safe stuff uh, that, is, that is really con confirmed. It's the, it's the stuff where people are taking risks and trying something new that 
finds it hardest to get funding and, and especially that startup funding to get the initial evidence that something might be promising. Um, and so for us, for this research project, we really wouldn't have been able to do this by any means without the support of Australian Rotary Health. So it has been really crucial for us and for this research. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's always really great to hear yeah, from our researchers and, you know, what, what has happened, you know, with the research that they've done after receiving those, you know, that funding and those donations from the Rotarians. So um, thank you so much for joining me today. And um, I guess, you know, just before we wrap up, was there anything else that you wanted to add? Uh, no, I think that's everything I wanted to say, Jessica. I think, you know, the it's not just benefiting, you know, those 174 young people that were able to go through our trial, but hopefully, you know, many thousands more into the future as we're able to make this intervention available more broadly. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Cheers. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the research behind Lift the Lid. It's always so inspiring to hear what researchers in Australia are doing to help make a difference to mental health and how they are helping us on our mission to lift the lid on mental illness. If you can, please continue supporting important mental health research like Dr. Cruis's by donating on the Australian Rotary Health website. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time. <laughs>